Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Now, I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Spencer Brooks. Spencer is the founder and principal of Brooks Digital, a digital firm that empowers health nonprofits to improve the lives of patients and assists in scaling their digital presence with better websites. Spencer helps organizations transform their complex websites so they can provide the right information to the right person at the right time. Additionally, Spencer's writing has been featured in publications such as the Stanford Social Innovation Review, TechSoup, and Nonprofit Marketing Guide. Today, Spencer and I are going to be chatting about the power of agile marketing and website design, the digital metrics you need to keep in mind to find the numbers that matter. And we're going to be learning what works from Spencer's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Spencer, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Stacey, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. What I love to do is start off by letting our listeners learn a little bit more about how you got here today, because you've spent over 10 years in this industry. You're certainly, you know, an expert on digital and website design, and you have so much experience to share that I'm excited to start learning from you. Sure. So it started when I was in a band. That's always the start of a good story, isn't it? Good story start. Uh, Yeah. So I was, gosh, I was about 21, I think. And so I played drums and I joined this rock band and we were on tour at the time. And you might hear tour and think, oh, this, you know, like the headliner events at the arenas and these, you know, hip local venues. Those are like the, (laughs) right. Yeah. I was like, right. That, yeah. That's like the uh, pro level. You got the tour organizer, the whole thing. And then there's like the underground tour, right. Where you just book anyone or anyone who has a space where you can play, then that's your tour. It's all about the cool kids. You were a cool kid. That's right. Yeah, totally. I was, I was in, in, a, in a band on tour. That, that, that was it. So, but I just remember, um, you know, sitting, we were in a 15 passenger van, right? And so I was like, I, I just, I would love to have a hundred bucks to buy food. <laughs> if I had that, that would be amazing. And so, you know, growing, growing up kind of in high school and college, I had studied web design and development a bit. And so I went, you know what? I could just post an ad on Craigslist. I could tether via my phone on my laptop and I could earn a little bit of money while I'm in this band so that I could eat and do things like that, (laughs) pay my bills. So, you know, at spoiler alert, uh, being in a band, the music industry, like it's pretty hard to make money, at least as a drummer. (laughs) So anyway, um, I, so I started doing that. Um, and I, I remember like the, I think the first client I got was I was designing these banner ads for like a bad breath product. Right. So I was just finding out, you know, all the stock images of like, you know, people with, you know, smelling other people's breath and <laughs> kind of, you know, things like that. Right. Just, you know, doing whatever it took, but over time, right. As I, uh, you know, a, a couple years went by, got married, settled down a little bit. And I discovered that you know what? It's like, I really enjoy this work. 
So I, I freelanced for a number of years and that sort of grew into a stable client base. It was more work than I can handle. So I started bringing on more team members. And so that's sort of how Brooks Digital was born. That's it was about six years ago, I think, is kind of when I made that transition from just being a freelancer to actually um, running an agency. And then I got into nonprofit work uh, just by examining what kind of clients was it where coming to me and my agency most often. And I kind of found that we had specialized in a particular website platform, Drupal at the time, like Drupal and WordPress, which tended to be pretty popular with nonprofits. And so I went, you know, these are my, these are my people. And uh, they're really finding a lot of value from the services. Um, my brother also has a, a chronic health condition that's actually left him disabled. So I really kind of had this personal connection with health uh, nonprofits specifically who are specializing in these different diseases and cancers and things like that. So I made the decision like, Hey, I'm going to go pursue these people. I know, I know what it's like to be a family member of someone who's literally like he's disabled and that's affected his entire life. And, uh, we've done good work for these, for these clients. And so I've made the decision to kind of push my firm into that direction and deepen my expertise in that particular area. I think the most successful agencies out there are those who actually have niche down. So it's excellent that you found a niche. I can I can think of all the advisors I know to agencies who are like, yes, good job, thumbs up, super niche. That's what you're supposed to do. Exactly right. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, all all the people. It's like I only had to have that advice beat into my head for like five years until I you know <laughs> made the decision. But yeah, after like the tenth time, I went, maybe there's something to that. Yeah. It, and it's a different approach. You know, I think the old school thought oftentimes was, well, you know, brands don't want to work with anyone if you've worked with their competitor um, versus saying, oh, if you specialize actually in this field, even though you might have all this competitor intelligence, oh, you have all this competitor intelligence and you actually know what works. Yeah, that, I think that's huge. You just get smart about this. You just see the same patterns. It's pattern matching again and again and again. I'm pretty shocked by the more that I get to understand and know just a particular niche. It's you just start to see the same kind of patterns over and over and over again. And you solve that for someone. And I think with nonprofits, it might be a little bit different, maybe in some ways. I think every, you know, I, I think it can probably apply to really any brand, but there's there's a problem and you can solve it for this specific organization. And that helps them. And they may not be in direct competition with someone else, you know, they might be, it's cancer versus diabetes or something like that. So that can help. But I even think that, you know, that getting smart about the issues in a particular niche is just, it's super, super helpful. Cause then you can just solve that problem really, really well and get really good at it really fast. Well, nonprofits and especially the health and medical community, uh, seem to have um, some extra needs to be able to answer to not just their board of directors, but their donors. And so there's a whole different approach of looking at how you're marketing because you have two very different stakeholders um, that you have to respond to. 100%. Yeah, that's what one of the things that makes a nonprofit so unique and fun to work with is that the the stakeholders are different, right? You do have the board, you do have donors, oftentimes, um, specifically with like medical nonprofits, you have partners that might be pharmaceutical companies, um, or other like government agencies, or oftentimes in the space, there's like different uh, working groups that get formed where it's actually multiple organizations that are all together. 
And then in addition to that, you actually have the people with a particular health condition that may be one of many. You have the actual person who's experiencing it. You have their caregiver, family, the doctor or, or healthcare provider that specializes in that. And all, all of these audiences, all these stakeholders, they need different information. So that's kind of where it starts to, I mean, as you alluded to in the beginning, Stacey, like that's, it just, it's very complex and you have to speak to a lot of different people. And so that's a big challenge for them. And then here you are doo, 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 coming to save the day by designing an agile website that can answer all these stakeholder needs and anyone else who might be out there. Correct. Yeah. Um, so. I think the thing about, like, I could approach this in a couple ways. The idea of agile, um, it's uh, it's a philosophy, it's really a project management philosophy that I've held on to. And um, just to lay out the, the basics of that for anyone who's listening and might not know what agile is, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a way of, of thinking about a, well, anything that you're managing. It's in, It started with software development. It could be marketing, uh, right? But uh, as thinking of, uh, whatever project you're doing is kind of this ongoing living, breathing uh, entity instead of a, a project, right? So the typical waterfall, you think of like a construction project where you go in these phases and they're all dependent on each other. And there's a time and place for that. But especially when it comes to conditions of uncertainty, where maybe you don't know exactly what it is that you need to be doing upfront, or you need to have the strategic ability to respond to change in the middle of a project or you just recognize that it's really risky to try and just do this all up front, uh, to try and serve all these, these complex stakeholders and just say, all right, this is gonna be our project and we're gonna do it for the next five years. And like, let's hope we're right. Agile is kind of a response to that by saying, okay, we can try, we'll, we're gonna get started and, but we're gonna work in cycles and we're just gonna keep, we're gonna launch a, a, a first version of this and keep improving it over time, baking in the ability to respond to change. And so particularly in a a space that is complex, like with health nonprofits, and there's tons of other spaces that are complex. It's not just them. Um, Also, uh, any kind of space where the playing field changes really rapidly, like if if it's developing fast and you need to be able to keep up, that's another situation where Agile can come in really handy and some other other cases as well. But um, certainly for this, for my particular niche, it's pretty valuable to be able to just recognize that you don't have to do it all at once. So I, and I've gotten very involved in our own agency's website design, clients' websites design, whether it's a nonprofit, healthcare, or as you referenced, pretty much anything under the sun, um, especially with all those stakeholders, there's always more ideas coming at you as a designer, right? It's like unlimited where all of a sudden you need to do this and now you need to switch over here. Oh, there's a red flag emergency. Let's go over there. How do you work with your clients to help them best prioritize all these little fires um, so that you can stay on top of that um, when developing? Yeah, I I think the, I like to think of it as um, fixed cost, but variable scope. So what that means is we need to decide on a budget for this beforehand. Obviously we can't just, you know, spend in, no one has an unlimited amount of money. So we need to understand what, what the budget is um, for any particular client. And then, but within that, there's the ability to change the details of the work or swap things out or reprioritize it, which is kind of opposed to this idea of you have to write the detailed scope of work upfront. Like 
this is exactly what we're going to do. And, you know, you, you know, Mr. Mrs. Client, whatever might, they have to sign off on that. And if we change it one little bit, then it's, you know, it's a lot of um, negotiations and change orders and the bureaucracy. Yes, tons. And I hate paperwork. I'm sure the clients hate paperwork too. Everyone does. So I think about it in terms of the, with Agile, there's the ability to respond to change. So we collect a lot of ideas, right? The, The ideas come up throughout the course of the project. And we say like, this idea is a great idea. And now we just have to make a decision. Would you rather do this? Or maybe we could take this other thing out or delay it past the launch into another phase. And it's sort of the the yes and response. Yeah, we can do that. And w- what's more important to do? Because obviously, you know, there, the, every project has a limited budget and and everyone gets it. And so I think the ability to respond to change by actually being able to make the scope flexible during the project is uh, is very valuable. And so in practice, what happens is like sometimes during the course of the project, things come up and they get slotted in and other things filter down into a, now we're not going to do this list or this is a post-launch list. And it's kind of an ongoing discussion of as things change, what are the new priorities? What are we going to do now? What are we going to save later? Which of course, it requires some trust, right? Like I, I think a fixed scope of work up front is certainly maybe it requires less trust if you are hiring an agency or someone else to do like it's a little bit harder to say okay we're just going to be flexible during it but i think if that trust does exist then it can be a really really great great arrangement i liked what you said and it's something that is very very little but you said and instead of but so you said and this is the result of what will happen instead of but this is what, and it turns something negative into such a nice little positive of like, let's reflect instead of, no, you can't have that. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, I don't like to punish anyone for coming up with a good idea. And I think that's kind of the vibe that I get sometimes, especially if we inherit like a, a project that's really struggling, uh, that it becomes a very much of, um, the, these two parties are sitting on either side of the table. And, you know, like you get this, like, we're going to write a number and slide it over the table and they're going to write a number and slide it over. And it's kind of this like, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of game that gets played. And so, and I, I don't think that produces a great final product. And so I think that I don't want anyone, certainly that I'm working with any client to feel like they're being punished for changing their mind or for coming up with a good idea because, realistically, the the farther the project goes on, the more information you actually have about what it is that you want and what it is that you need. And at the beginning of the project, you have the least amount of information. And so punishing someone for changing their mind uh, is, I don't think it's, it leads to a great result. So I just want to build within that project, the ability for that to happen in a non-punishing manner. And I think the great ideas just filter to the top. I think the important thing about website design is people sometimes come and approach it, I think, as, okay, I'm going to build it and it's done and I'm going to go on to my next project. And really websites are living, breathing, evolving, tweaking, adjusting, adding beasts. Yes, it's it's really true. I think sometimes the temptation can be if we do this all in one project, like this is going to be the super site that we build that's going to, we're going to be able to do everything ourselves and it's going to be totally flexible to adapt to anything that we could do in the future. And so I think sometimes the temptation is, especially for, 
you as the, as the client buying the site um, because, you know, and I think sometimes agencies are complicit in selling stuff this way. Um, but, and I'm not saying it's sometimes you can't build a set that way, but I think many times in reality, you sort of do have to bake in some assumptions about the structure of your business and the requirements that it has. And you, you actually have to set up this, this structure as you're building the site that is baking in assumptions about the way things work. And if you, if you really do want to have the ultimate flexibility, then it's extraordinarily expensive to do it that way. But I think the temptation can be, oh, we're just going to get this, this amazing, we're going to buy the Ferrari of a site and it's going to do everything that we ever want it to do. And we're going to be able to do it all ourselves. And I think that that it really doesn't work that way unless you have a ton of, of money to basically just like develop your, your own custom platform. Um, and if you're doing that, you're probably doing it the actual way anyway. So websites, I think the thing about it is the, your competitive environment changes over time, whatever industry you're in changes over time, your own organization, your business, whatever it changes over time. And so if you build a website and you bake in assumptions, cause you're going to have to do that about the structure of the content, about your business requirements, workflows, the way the stuff works. Uh, it's that's going to stay fixed. And so then it just falls out of date over time. And so I think the idea of agile is just recognizing the simple fact that, that things change. That's just the nature of reality. <laughs> things change. And so the, your website is no different. And so if you bake in that ability to actually update it and keep it relevant over time and make that part of your strategy to, to do that, then you're going to be able to be positioned more on the leading edge in your competitive environment. You're going to stay ahead of your space. Whereas everyone else, if they're, you know, redoing their site every couple of years, like they're going to be falling further and further behind, redoing it, falling behind, and you can stay consistently on that leading edge. How do you best work with a client to get them to, you know, put the major ingredients of that recipe in before you're adding in all the extra little seasonings along the way? What's your approach to starting out and putting together a strategy for success? Yeah, well, of course, it the how in-depth you do it depends on the client's budget. I don't want to give a mealy-mouthed answer to that, but obviously there's a range. Strategically, I always like to think about starting with, the stakeholders in mind, the audience in mind. I think the default view for most most nonprofits, I would venture. I'm I'm not an expert in other niches, or other uh, you know industries, but I would imagine it's the same with many others. Is that you go into it thinking about what your needs are as an organization, as a business, what the needs of your staff are, and what you want to get out of that. And if you're thinking of it like that, that's not bad, but you're probably missing the perspective of your customer, of your stakeholders and your users. And the ideas that you come up with, if you're sitting at a whiteboard brainstorming about, okay, what can the site do? What can the site do? You're probably missing an entire segment of potential um, features or things that you would have never been able to, to dream up in your wildest dreams that your customers and the actual users are going to be able to tell you if you take the time to go talk to them. And so I like to think about getting to this place of, uh, of launching the first version of a website by taking it to the beginning and actually having a client sit down and talk with the people who use their website. 
And, and we can help facilitate that and perform some of the research as needed. But then it usually you start to find out a couple of things, you know, really fast about what that particular user group needs. Like people with health conditions, they probably are going to struggle when they're newly diagnosed. Like they're going to have this moment of overwhelm where they say, oh man, like I was just diagnosed with cancer. Like I'm freaking out right now. And I, I need, there's so much information and I need a structured path to learn what it is that I need to know today. And I, I can't be overwhelmed with a thousand articles in medical terminology. So you might find that you might find, I don't know which websites to trust it's medical information. So I'm, I'm struggling to Google and land on what information can I trust or not. You're probably landing on you know, something like, I want to find other people who are struggling with the same thing so I can find community and support. And so anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll start to hear these things as you talk to people. And then those become some of the pillars around which you prioritize the, what you're going to develop. Because ultimately what you want to do is have, as you're later in the project, you're making these decisions on what do we do now or what do we do later? You want to be able to have a framework in which to prioritize those things beyond just opinions or the highest paid person in the room <laughs> making the call. Um, sometimes that's necessary and you know, they, you need to do that sometimes, but it is helpful to actually have the perspective of the people who are using the site and what their core needs are. And then you can really shoot for checking those boxes for the initial version and then getting feedback and adding to it along the way. So that's how I like to think about it. So I think what you just said was that one of the major mistakes that many people make are not listening to enough people who actually matter and potentially just looking at one who is the overall decision maker in setting forward and designing the site. And that's probably something that happens quite frequently. 100%. Yeah, that, that it's a huge, it's a huge mistake. I don't think it's bad to, to listen to the person who's the highest paid, like they they probably have a pretty good idea of what the organization needs and someone needs to make the call. So that's fine. It's good to listen to people in your organization, but I think it, it can really quickly become a either committee-based decision process where you just get a bunch of people in a room and you present it to the committee. And usually what happens is some sort of watered down compromise emerges between opinions and you don't necessarily put forth your strongest, uh, your strongest offering there. Um, and frankly, I think the, the committee-based decision process is, uh, is optimized to reduce interpersonal conflict between the committee, not necessarily produce the best outcome. So that's what you're probably going to get with committee-based decision-making. Again, my two cents perspective, sorry if you have a committee, you know, listening, <laughs> don't mean to rain on your parade. Uh, the other thing I think uh, that can happen is sometimes as, as an organization, it's difficult to, uh, to read your own label, right? Like you can't, you're, you're, you're on the inside of the jar. I think I heard this from might have been David Baker, um, agency advisor guy. Um, one of the many people that told me to, you know, get, fix my positioning. Right. And yeah, exactly. Um, it's hard to read. It's hard to read your label. You're on the inside of the jar and it's hard. It's just hard to see, especially I see this a lot when um, a nonprofit has a ton of programs and they get really locked into the, 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 their terminology 
and the way that they think about their organization. And it actually becomes almost impossible to see, to actually objectively look at your organization from the lens of someone who's totally new to it and see what's confusing and what's not. So you can just kind of run circles around what you might think is a good idea, but the real litmus test is actually going and talking to someone who has that outside perspective and they can read your label and they can tell you what your label is. And then you can use their feedback to actually, uh, to design something that is gonna work for them. And so, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes is just not actually consulting and, and taking the time to go talk to the, the people that are outside your organization. What's another mistake that you typically see? Hmm. So I, I, I'll pick a, a couple. Well, I, I, there's a lot. I'd say this is, um, this is one I've been thinking about recently. It's the idea of copying other people. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. What I see a lot of is that it, it might be true in the nonprofit space. And I'm sure it's true in other spaces as well, is that when you're going through the process of redesigning a website or doing really anything, you're going to look at all your competitors and you're going to say, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And that usually becomes a, either a template for what you're going to try to do, or it just becomes some sort of validation or proof to someone in a senior leadership position that this idea that, we're, that they're going to go ahead with has already been validated by someone else. Um, I think it's especially true with someone that, you know, maybe a board member that's not particularly experienced in web and you're proposing something like you do user research and you talk to your users and you say, we need to launch this, you know, new community initiative, right? Mm -hmm. To, to connect people. And they go and look at all of the competitors and they say, no one's doing this. I'm not so sure. And, and so I think sometimes copying or looking too much to your competitors for a template there's no, there, it's not bad, but I think it can actually prevent you from doing anything that's really innovative or unique. And so I think that's a mistake. I, it, there's obviously an advice of caution in there to it's very good and appropriate to do a competitive analysis and see what people out there are doing and copy what's working. <laughs> like you don't need to reinvent the wheel, but it's actually not going to get you anything new that someone else isn't already doing. And sometimes I think that's the opportunity to break ahead of the pack is when you are doing something that no one else is doing, but you have done the research ahead of time to know that that's, you have a fairly good shot at this landing. So that's another mistake I see people make. One of the topics that you and I were chatting about before the podcast even began is some of the digital metrics that you need to keep in mind with um, your website of what you're actually measuring against, because I know Sometimes what people think they should be looking at and, you know, the holy grail of, oh my gosh, I got this many visitors. But if they're not relevant visitors to you, who really gives a flying care because they're there for three seconds and they're gone and they actually aren't helping amp you up and it's hurting your SEO in general. So what are the metrics that you should actually care about? Mm. It's if I just threw out specific ones right now as a kind of carte blanche, I don't know if I would be doing anyone a service, but I will say I, for, for nonprofits, I will, I generally look at it as, um, in categories of, of first awareness mm -hmm. as one. Um, so like, that's obviously that's going to be like traffic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it could be like ad impressions or th things that are generally like getting people from the position of not knowing that your organization exists at all to suddenly you're on their radar. And we want to be able to measure that. And I think the details are depending on your, your, your marketing stack and your channels. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's a lot of like, it could be search impressions, clicks, website visitors, um, the ad impressions, things like that. And then the second thing that I would consider in like the arc is then their, um, their behavior on your site, like engagement would be the, um, the next category. So going from awareness to engagement. And so there's, once they're become aware of your organization, then what are they doing to engage with it in a deeper way? So that could be, if you have a website with a lot of content, that's things like how often are they returning to your site? How many pages are they visiting? How long are they spending on the site? Like what are your top articles and the categories of those articles and the most read ones, mm -hmm. things like that. And then that can kind of lead into um, things. If you have a email subscription, for example, um, are they taking that step to take action, which is kind of the final phase for nonprofits, that can mean a lot of things. I think for a business, that's probably, you know, you're making a sale or at least, you know, generating a lead that could convert to a sale. For a nonprofit, that could be a range of things from donations to signing up to a program, um, even just joining an email list, that could be a significant action. And so those, there's a lot of different specific uh, actions and metrics that could apply to your situation, but I think of it in those buckets of awareness, engagement, and action. And the definitions of those change from organization to organization, but generally you can start to pick out within the hundreds of metrics in that category, the top few that probably mean a lot for your particular business and organization. And I think, speaking of mistakes that people make um, when it comes to these kind of metrics, is choosing too many. So you could fill up a dashboard with a ton of metrics and you could be like, wow, this is a really impressive dashboard. And I refresh it once a week and don't do anything <laughs> with it. It could be overwhelming. So I think the metrics should be small, like a, a small number, probably in total less than 10, I would, um, I'd say just as an off the cuff number across awareness, engagement and action. And then those things should tell you how well you're doing in whatever whatever that particular metric is. So if it's like newsletter signups, that should the conversion rate, for example, on website newsletter signups, that should inform what you're doing with your agile website, right? Are, are you optimizing that conversion rate? And is it going up or down? Did you just launch something? If so, go to your dashboard and see, did that change actually help bring it up or down? And that that's what I'd recommend to get away from the, you know, vanity metric dashboard refreshing that happens a lot. And uh, anyway, that's kind of my framework for thinking about digital metrics without just making it a, a super general answer, because the reality is it doesn't, it does change from organization to organization, but there are principles that stay the same. And so for all of our listeners who are like, ah, oh, Spencer is saying things I really like. I want to learn more about Spencer. How can they find you besides our show notes? Um, but if someone wants to reach out, what's your contact info? Sure. Um, best way, you can feel free to, to email me. Um, it's spencer at brooks.digital, not .com. I'm sure Stacey, um, Sam will have that in the 
the show notes as well. You can feel free to visit the Brooks Digital website, uh, brooks.digital. There's uh, some articles there about a lot of the stuff that I've talked about. Um, I also host the Health Nonprofit Digital Marketing Podcast. So if you want to listen to me muse more about and interview other guests that work at health nonprofits, you can listen to that. And uh, there's some webinars, other content on there as well. So those are two good ways to reach me. Awesome. So is there, I know our time's starting to wrap up, but is there anything we didn't touch on today that you would like to reinforce, share, guide, teach our listeners? Yeah, I, I, I just use the opportunity to maybe to re, reiterate the core point that I think, I think this is the most important uh, point is listening to your users and your stakeholders. Um, I think that we are, we already touched on that, but I think that is something that can be the difference between a average website redesign. It's like, okay, that went well, you know, it was, this looks better and you know, the technology is good and okay, we'll do this again in another couple of years too, man, like this is actually pushing our entire business, our entire organization forward. This launched us to a new, a new stage. And the, the, the difference with that is listening to your users and it's different than a survey is great. All those things are great. But I think when it comes to the context of the website, actually going and talking to people and saying, how do you use the internet to find this kind of company to research this kind of product, you know, product to find this kind of organization and really get specific on how they, that, that particular person uses the web to connect with that, that information and that kind of company that you'll start to get some really, really juicy nuggets of information that will help you uh, help you move forward and actually progress instead of just getting a, a shiny new website and kind, kind of doing the same old, same old. Well, Spencer, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. So thank you again, Spencer. You're very welcome, Stacey. Appreciate the opportunity. And again, for all of you listening to Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them, Spencer has provided us with so much awesome insights and information. And I know our topic today was really focused on nonprofit and healthcare, but everything that was said really can apply to whatever business sector you're in um, with some little tweaks here and there. So I appreciate you, um, Spencer, for all of your insights. And thank you again. I'll look forward to chatting with you on our next podcast to everyone else. And if you're a fan of the show, make sure you go to hollywoodbranded.com backslash podcast updates. This is a new one for you guys. Hollywoodbranded.com backslash podcast updates to get notified every time we drop a new episode. And you can also stay up to date with all things marketing, business, and pop culture by checking out our weekly blogs at blog.hollywoodbranded.com. Subscribe and you can join over 30,000 readers who are already in the know. So again, thank you so much and have a great day.